Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with conversations that are candid and are about human behaviour and technology. Brought to you by Kath Nibs. Welcome to this week's episode. This is probably the third, if not fourth time I've re-recorded this introduction and that's not because I've made mistakes in terms of my umming and ahhing. Um, this is because we're in uh, the COVID crisis and one of the things that I am doing is obviously moving moving a lot of my appointments around, changing a lot of what I'm doing and here we are. This episode is actually really important. Um, now one of the things I want to say is what the statement I'm really kind of getting into now is um, that I don't want to frighten people um, but it's really really important and necessary that we begin to understand what we're currently doing with our diet choices in this COVID crisis. So one of the things that's been really interesting is to see kind of the baskets and trolleys that people have been filling up. And I'm sure many of you are aware of the the number of people that have bought lots and lots of processed foods. And this this conversation that I have with Shania, who's my um, functional medicine doctor, um, we, we really go into kind of what functional health is and why it matters and why taking care of your health is really important. Um, so I'm, I'm really going to put my neck on the line here, um, which is for those of you who know me, I'm quite controversial. I do do stuff like this all the time. There's a whole heap of issues that we are going to pay for in the future. And this is due to diet choices that are currently being made by lots and lots of people um, who are panicking who are basically buying into their limbic system and they are rushing out to buy foods that are not necessarily helpful, that may uh, impede their, their health and also may contribute to further health issues down the road. So if you, if you take anything from this conversation, it's about um, that N equals one approach it's about the root cause of health issues diseases and problems and right now given that we are in uh, the covid crisis this is about those choices that people have made that may well result in those kinds of issues appearing within months years you know i i just don't know where we're going to go in terms of our our health and i'm not here to say that those food choices that everybody's making are are particularly bad um because i try to stay away from words like that and i'm not demonizing what's happening at the moment but it really has been quite clear how few people are buying clean fresh produce and you know as a as a practitioner i'm here to say listen to this uh, episode today and then also i have um i don't even know what i've jumped with the other um, episode with Gavin from HeartMath because we recorded that just as the COVID outbreak was beginning so that one is going to follow this one fairly rapidly and I'm aware that consistency of the podcast and when it's um, brought to you has changed slightly and I'm hoping that this is going to help you because you've got plenty of time to maybe listen to podcasts as, as do lots of us at the moment. Um, so this is, this is really uh, an introduction to functional health and um, Shania and I, uh, we kind of talk about um, nutrigenomics, we talk about health, the root causes, and, and she's visited by her cat during the video, which is very lovely. Um, 
so yeah please do enjoy this uh, episode and really 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 take care of yourself and if you can try and make good choices with your health uh, and and food uh, intake right now because um, there's there's lots to be learned about what we can do to help ourselves um, in terms of with if with with, with um, if when and how we probably all will contract uh, COVID at some point during the next few years. Um, so this is what you can do to really assist and help yourself. Um, yeah, take care people and speak soon. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week I'm joined by Shania Lee and Shania is a My Functional Medicine GP. Naturopathic. Oh, naturopathic, yeah. yeah. Yep. So this is this is kind of a conversation that um, is on the back of us knowing each other for some time, but also bringing some information to a set of people who may need uh, an introduction to what functional medicine is. Yep. But also, we're kind of tying it into how how technology is evolving and how we can get to the place that we're currently at in terms of understanding cellular functioning, microbiome. Uh, snips of the DNA etc etc so welcome Shania and do you want to kind of start with what functional medicine actually is yeah that's a great place to start so functional medicine very very basically is patient-centered root cause medicine right mm -hmm. why I say patient-centered is there are no protocols every person is treated as a unique individual because we we are all, every single person is unique, even twins are unique. So patient-centered, somebody with the same symptoms, uh, so if you have 10 people with the same, similar symptoms, they might all have different reasons and you've okay. got to treat them individually. So it's patient-centered, not protocol-driven. And I've worked at clinics that have gotten really upset with me because they were run by GPs, which are predominantly protocol-driven doctors. Um, and there's no problem with that. It's just not how functional medicine works. Uh, and I would get into trouble because I kept saying to my boss, he would say, you need to create a protocol for X, Y, Z. And I would say, no, because protocol, this is not a protocol driven profession. It is patient centered. <clears throat> yeah. Just ignore Stylus. He's a feature, not a, a glitch. Uh, yeah, it's this. Yeah. So, <laughs> Those on, on video, there is now the cat in the picture. So <laughs> front and center. Um, so root cause, get off the table. So root cause is essentially like uh, that, that beautiful picture you have behind your head is a, a very good demonstration of what functional medicine is. So if we compare old school medicine, I'm calling conventional medicine old school. <laughs> um, but yeah, like if you, if you get sick, you go to the GP, they give you a medicine to treat the symptoms and you could, you could literally go to like 10 specialists mm -hmm. or all sorts of like, so you, so you have, um, tingling in your, your extremities, so you'll go to a neurologist, um, you're getting regular bladder infections, so you're going to a urologist, uh, you're going slightly mad from all these symptoms, so you're going to somebody for your mental health issues. So that's, that's kind of like the old school way of looking at people, is like you have a symptom, you treat the symptom. And another way of putting it is a pill for the ill. Yeah. Right? But we are just like plants. We have roots, we have nourishment that needs to come in and, and we're unique individuals. We're all different plants. Mm -hmm. and if you have a pot plant on your table or in, your, in the background there and its leaves start changing color, 
you don't go and like paint the leaves and get rid of the symptoms, right? You take a look at the roots and see what the hell's going on with the plant in the first place. You know, does it need more water? Does it need some nourishment? Does it need a new pot? You know, whatever the the Mm -hmm. reason is. And what we're finding with people is you can have one condition, one root cause condition with multiple symptoms that would send them literally to multiple doctors when actually it's just a single root cause. Yeah. Okay, so disease being multifactorial, that root cause is probably a trigger with multiple things that created the the timeline up to that trigger. And then there's the whole lifestyle action on on you. So like we call those things mediators. So mediators are the things that in your day-to-day life you are doing that keep you in that state of ill health. So like a fairly obvious one would be if you're a smoker and you're eating trans fats from a burger joint every day <laughs> you're staying you're staying up all hours of the night and not getting good sleep you have a terrible relationship with your partner all of these things mediate illness so in a functional practice we take note of all of those things what's your life like you know what's your day-to-day sleep pattern uh, are you taking time to relax and enjoy yourself are you doing things to remove the the toxins that you're exposed to on a day-to-day basis because unfortunately our environment is so much more toxic than it was 70 years ago so we've got all of this stuff we have to think about and once we clear up the noise of all that stuff you can get to the root cause and you can create a healthy plant again plants Absolutely. Well, we, if you think about what we are, we're, we're the same kind of organis, organism and, and organistic nature made up of, you know, trillions of cells that come together to create a human. Yep. And, and we need light and we need oxygen and we need good soil. <laughs> good I, well, I, <laughs> we, are, we are plants with feet. You know, we, we just literally complicated house plants. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And whilst that's slightly reductionist, it's um, we are we are thinking plants, aren't we? Um, so, the, okay. So the the people that I'm hoping to bring this to are more to do with the the community of um, psychotherapists, counsellors, um, also potentially teachers, social workers, people like that. Um, who who tend to have, and I, I quite like the way that you were talking about the protocol driven. It's it's almost like um, so you you know that I'm a, a trauma specialist. I I tend to look and work in and around trauma. Yeah. When when I'm working with my clients, I ask all of those same kinds of questions. As you should. And and one one of my clients said, I thought I was just coming to you for talking therapy, and I went, Ah, <laughs> well, unfortunately, I'm not just one of those therapists because. Yeah every single factor has an impact on the person so we can we can focus on like uh, the mental health aspect of functional medicine so you've got this, great yeah you've got this brain that's in an environment that people have gotten so wrong in the past they used to believe it was sterile it's not mm-hmm. they used to believe that it had no regenerative capacities it absolutely does yeah it is controlled by things that are far away from it like your gut Mm-hmm. and the microbiome of the gut. Um, there's a lot of evidence to show that that there's, there's direct correlation. Then um, the blood-brain barrier is not as effective as it should be at stopping certain things from getting into the brain, like mercury and aluminium, right? Mm-hmm. So heavy metal toxicity, which is, again, rife. How many people can look into their mouth this very moment and say that there's no metal in there, right? 
that metal doesn't just sit there. Those little little metal pieces, they get into you and they float around and they go into places like your brain. Okay. And a, a fairly common one nowadays is copper. Copper is related to estrogen. So yeah. with the fabulous advent of the pill became a estrogen dominance, which is much more prevalent now than it used to be. And along with estrogen dominance is this ability to retain copper, which copper is a great element and it's really good for certain things. But if you think about what it does in our day-to-day -day life, we use it to conduct electricity, right? Mm -hmm. What's the brain doing all the time? Yeah. Well, it's, it's electrochemical, isn't it? It's electrochemical. So what we find in copper toxic people is they tend to be the ones who have extreme moodiness um they tend to cry quite a lot so they've got a lot of emotional stuff that may be relevant or irrelevant but they just don't really cope well with it uh they if they have extreme copper toxicity so i've got cat hair up my nose so <laughs> if they have extreme copper toxicity they they can actually present like bipolar or schizophrenia because they're, they're having these insane thoughts that aren't actually their own and They'll probably even say that at some point. Like, I know these aren't my thoughts, but I'm still having them. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Aluminium's linked to Alzheimer's, uh, also neurotoxic. People who are mercury toxic tend to get a lot of brain fog and dizziness. So already root cause, right? You get somebody who's, who's coming in because they're, they're moody and they're weepy all the time and they feel like they're losing their mind. I've just given you a whole bunch of possible causes. I've got to investigate yeah. them all. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, um, well, I'm, I don't know about psychiatry because there is a move, because um, I think you sent me the Harvard article, didn't you, in terms of the, the now nutritional psychiatry. But even, even with that nutritional psychiatry, there's not this level of knowledge. Yeah. And it's not commonplace for us to learn about metal toxicity or um, uh, exotoxins and, and then how that becomes something that then gets into the system you know and that yeah. system could be your blood your gut and and how how that then moves up into the brain and then the impact of what that does to the processes of the mind yep so, we're, so we're in, like place. we can start with you've mentioned the genetics so we can start with your genetic predispositions not everybody who's exposed to heavy metals and toxins is going to react the same way mm -hmm. if you're if you've got really good enzymes because so those genes we call them selective nucleotide polymorphisms the things that we check for called SNPs for those people who don't want to say that repeatedly yeah. um, those things encode for genes proteins and hormones right so if there's a glitch in the spelling of that particular genes mm -hmm. code you don't get an effective enzyme hormone or protein being made so if people have uh, SNPs in detoxification and oxidative stress and inflammation, so those are SNPs that predispose them to being poor detoxifiers, prone to oxidative stress and high inflammation. Inflammation has a huge effect on how your brain works, right? Depression is essentially an inflammatory disorder of the brain. Mm -hmm. Again, one of the root causes, not all of them. So if somebody has high priority SNPs in all of those areas and they get exposed to an environmental toxin, okay, which is very easy these days. Say so they've got it in their mouth or they're drinking it in their water or they're breathing it from the air. I mean, your area was recently exposed to some 
pretty pretty frightening yeah uh, air toxicity and a lot of people wouldn't even know that the symptoms that they're getting from that was literally from the air that they were breathing absolutely so um just just to kind of jump in on that that this was the um big fire that made it to the national news at the speedy bake bakery um, and to begin with, the first 24 hours, people were concerned about asbestos. And, you know, when I was, uh, well, I was actually with you at that weekend that it happened, wasn't I? Um, there is something about, even though I've contacted a few people, about some people will be predisposed to the toxins of the smoke, regardless of whether it's got asbestos in it. Um, and, and you know, I've, I've had a few responses back about, oh, behave yourself, will you, Kath? And I've kind of gone, okay, this is going to be really interesting when later on and later on can be a week it can be a month it can be a year it can be a decade yep that there will be health impacts for people who who breathed that smoke in or were exposed to it exactly we have no idea what kind of triggers it that could have been for people who are genetically predisposed to them mm. so so we take genetic predispositions along with exposure and i mean as an example you can have four people in the same family uh one is more predisposed to getting uh, to poor detoxification and inflammation and possibly has some of the mind snips as well um, than the others because genetics is not like you're not a carbon copy of your family you know you are an individual within your own family so in within a family you can have people exposed to the exact same thing and only one person gets really sick from it so another example would be mold Certain people are sensitive to mold and you can have people in a family who are and aren't sensitive to it. And the sensitive people, they get looked at like they're growing mental because they probably are um, making symptoms up, which they're not because they're very real symptoms. But their family members don't understand because they're exposed to the same stuff. They're looking at that black mold in the ceiling going, but I feel fine. Mm -hmm. Whereas their, their partner or child is is in a state of mess, let's just put it that way, because that's essentially what mycotoxicity looks like in someone who's sensitive. So it's highly inflammatory, um, it does affect the mind, it does affect the way people think and feel. A lot of people who are mycotoxic stay in bed for ages because they just can't get out, they can't deal with the concept of getting out, but unfortunately they're usually in the place that's mycotoxic to start off with, so yeah, feeding the disease, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it, that, that people have. If I, and, and actually, um, just as we've, we, and I mean, we've said this many times, people can get into a place where the thoughts can also create those levels of stress, which then exacerbate any of the, the symptoms that somebody's um, uh, uh, being predisposed to. Yep, absolutely. You can think yourself sick. They did a, a very interesting study on people back, it was a while ago, So because it was while I was still studying, so it was in the 90s, <laughs> um, where they targeted certain people and went up to them, even though they looked completely fine, and said, are you feeling okay? You're not looking well. And, and they, they got a few people to say this during the day, and by the end of the day, everyone was sick. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but uh, the opposite is true as well if someone's feeling down and you go up to them and you say oh wow you're looking really radiant today and you walk away and the next person goes wow you're glowing all of that will lift them up as well so it's like mm -hmm. <laughs> you can think yeah. yourself better as well i'm not saying that any anything is 100 percent thought obviously i've given lots of reasons for people to have mental health issues but obviously checking your thought patterns is a part of your healing process 
Yes, and I'm just thinking for the people that I'm I'm kind of going to push this uh, episode towards. There's there's also something about so we work with those these these are the people that we work with. I'm feeling down. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling weepy. Um, and and what we're doing as therapists is looking at the the entire history of the client. Yep. What we're not doing is looking, and I'm going to talk in terms of medical now. We're not looking at the history of the patient. Yeah. We are we are doing this. It's it almost feels like half-hearted. Not that not that therapy is half-hearted, but there's half a story that we're not dealing with. And the reason the reason I kind of got into this world of um, functional health in terms of um, kind of biohacking, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is because we are being taught that there is an epigenetic. Yeah. Um, impact but then we're not being told or ha there isn't enough research and, and stuff around for us to kind of go and learn about in terms of what that actually means for us so epigenetic impact is transgenerational yeah so, <laughs> uh, yeah well i mean this is the thing we've got we've got what's happening to us in the here and now plus the three generations that we've carried that we carry in terms of our our genetics and that's not to say that these are um i'm just thinking to make this really simple for people the genes are literally a blueprint yeah. the epigenetics are the way that that blueprint is then made sense of so it's, it's well, almost I'll, like i'll explain it in this way so epigenetics to be oversimplified every every cell or every cell in your body has the potential to be any cell okay it's mm -hmm. got every cell has exactly the same genetic material in it but certain cells get tagged and that tag tells them what to be. Yeah. So they get tagged to be an eye or a kidney or whatnot. That's, that's great epigenetics. <laughs> we want that. That's great. What, what you get also get is say um, your grandmother had a traumatic experience while she was pregnant and it was related to a specific thing. Your mother then started to react to that specific thing for no reason. And you also have a weird reaction to that specific thing. Okay? Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, those tags and, and most, most epigenetic tags should be wiped clean, but they're not. Um, when, when a sperm cell and egg cell coincide, those, those epigenetic tags do stick. And there's, uh, there's an experiment by a Dr. Lamarck where he took male mice and exposed them to a shock at the same time as, as smelling cherry blossoms. Mm -hmm. And the, the next generation had the stress response to the smell and the generation after that, even though they weren't getting shocked. They've also done studies on the, the kids who were in utero uh, in New York at 9-11 and yeah. how they have a, an excessive stress response to certain things like airplanes and buildings. <laughs> You know, yeah. things that, that, you know, if you see an airplane flying across near a large building, you're not going to generally freak out. And these kids do because, because it was such a stressful event for the mother, they got tagged with a very strong tag. Yeah. And that will be in their children as well, won't it? Because we're only really first, first generation after, after 9-11. Unless the mother does some serious work on herself and changes their own epigenetics. <laughs> like... Okay, so I'm going to jump on that particular sentence there. So what, what can people do to jump on to make those changes, uh, you know, in terms of their epigenetics? So let's, let's take, for example, the toxicity that we're talking about or maybe something that has happened that's left an epigenetic tag. 
And that might be something that I'm now going to try and get you to fit in in at least 15 minutes. <laughs> well, there's this fantastic process uh, in the body called methylation. Methylation is, is how the DNA translates itself. Okay, so um, if, you, if a gene is methylated, it's essentially closed off and then it's unmethylated to let a little segment out, which is then turned into RNA, which is then made into the protein or whatnot, and then it's remethylated. People who have not such great methylation, they tend to have little openings in their genetic book. And that makes them more prone to getting these tags. Okay, mm -hmm. so, so the process of methylation is extremely important. I'm not going to say it removes every single tag, but there, there's evidence to say that you can improve the outcome of the next generation by taking out all the toxins before you fall pregnant. Now that's, <laughs> that's virtually impossible now, but um, in the woman that I've worked with pre-pregnancy, pre we work a year, if not 18 months, to remove the, the excess aluminium lead, lead because it's related to anger issues in children. Um, bones. It sits in bones, doesn't it? Yeah. And it takes a long time to come out, which is why it can take 18 months, even longer. I mean, ideally, I would want someone to, to clean up themselves for about two years. But then there's also like, you have to reduce your exposure. So filtered water, air purifiers, I mean, the list is long. Um, yeah. Infrared saunas, etc, etc. So you clean yourself up, you make sure the biological processes are functioning optimally, and then you fall pregnant and boom, you have a much healthier baby. Uh, when I was working specifically in this industry uh, about 15 years ago, um, you know how moms always compare their babies to all the new mom's babies? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. my child is walking faster, not crying as much, obviously yeah. better than everybody. <laughs> well, I was hearing that all the time. The kids that were born out of a functional uh, pregnancy didn't have colic. They slept really well. Like they basically just ate, slept, did their thing. You know, they, they, weren't, they weren't really screamy, cry babies. They slept through the night much earlier. They reached their milestones earlier. So that was a baby who had had the epigenetic tags cleaned up before it was even conceived. Yeah. And, and I have to point out that if a woman wants to conceive, she needs to consider a minimum of three months of preconception work because the egg that is going to be conceived in three months, you know, it takes three months for that follicle to mature. So if you're, if you're living a normal lifestyle, just, I'm just going to say normal as in like the average person in, in the world and you fall pregnant, you, you've got that, that exposure connected to that genetics, all of that exposure to whatever it was. I mean, so many people in my youth fell pregnant after fat parties with multiple things they shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. Um, and those kids have issues. Yes. Well, I mean, even even working with you over the, the past couple of years, I've actually brought my children to you because this is something I didn't know 20 odd years ago. And there are factors that, you know, I was engaging in in terms of smoking, drinking, partying, not sleeping, all of all of the things that young people do. Yep. And now I'm in a position where working with you, I've got my children and this is about helping them. Yep kind of clean up that's that's a good way to say it. clean up before they go on to have children so that their children benefit from the knowledge that we're talking about today and babysitting won't be such a painful process <laughs> there's, there's a bit, well i'm also doing this Shania, just to put it off for a while as well because about, <laughs> if they're on the clean up process for at least a decade that's fine <laughs> Absolutely. 
yeah. I mean, yeah, look, uh, unfortunately, in my in my 20 years of experience of, of being a practitioner, I have seen a decline in what the human race was to what it is now. So I'm not just talking mental health because mental health issues are definitely on the rise. Infertility is definitely on the rise. But as an example, autoimmune conditions, when I, when I graduated in the year 2000, the autoimmune conditions existed, but there were like five of them. You know, there was rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, and three others. There really weren't that many. There are 180 now, roughly, and wow. you can have a body. I think the most I've seen in one body is seven different autoimmune conditions. It's like um, almost everybody I'm seeing in my practice now, I'm diagnosing with usually Hashimoto's, you know, thyroid disease. Wow. Now well, I mean, that's, that's the, yeah, that's the one thing that I am seeing in terms of women um, in, in my practices. They tend to go off, be tested, get told they've got a thyroid problem, and then it's not dealt with them. Before you know it, they've got um, a diagnosis of Hashimoto's. Yep. So the thyroid is, uh, we call it the canary in the coal mine. It's super, super, super sensitive to toxicity. So the thyroid hormones are made predominantly out of iodine. But... All the halogens look similar. Halogens being bromine, uh, fluoride, etc., etc. They look pretty similar. Chlorine, even. So they're all part of the same family. And we're how how exposed are we to chlorine and and fluorine these days? Fluoride. It's in the water. It's everywhere. So these molecules then take up the position in the thyroid that should be taken up by iodine. So that's problem number one. So usually you get to see the thyroid function is slow and it does affect women more than men, but it is affecting men as much well, quite a bit nowadays. And then the immune system, the immune system is not just deciding out of the blue to suddenly turn on itself in multiple ways. That's not how the immune system works. The immune system is not recognizing some of the things that are coming into our bodies and it's creating antibodies to those things. And those things unfortunately look slightly similar to our own tissue. So that could be, um, for example, if you've got mercury uh, and it binds to albumin, which is the most predominant protein in your blood, it yep. creates what's called a heptin. And a heptin looks, that particular heptin looks like the thyroid. So the body attacks it because it's not supposed to be in there. That's, that's not a normal thing for our body to have in it. Yep. it it touches on it, it creates this antibody, the antibody looks like the thyroid and boom, first autoimmune condition. The next one's probably celiac disease. And then it's gonna be one of the joint disorders. That's the sequence of events that's happening. But it's not because our immune systems are wrong, it's our environment that's wrong. Yes, yeah, I was gonna say this is about, actually it's the environment that needs to clean up first before the human. <laughs> yeah, we can only manage the environment we have nowadays though. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's not really possible. Mm. Drink, uh, drink clean water, uh, have your air purifiers. I have like, in my house, I have about six air purifiers going constantly. Yeah, um, I, I, recently I did um, some DNA life results with somebody and that's the, that's the thing that we got to. Um, her, I think, high priority area was inflammation. Yeah. One of the things we went for was get yourself a filter, um, and of course, the first time I mentioned to people HEPA filters, they think I'm talking about a vacuum cleaner. So it's, <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> so it's, it's quite interesting how many people are like, but why do we need one of these things? And, you know, well, we need it because everything, the, the upholstery, we've got, you know, paints, we've got when the doors are open, what everybody else is doing. 
and most houses unfortunately have mold um yes who was i listening to the other day that talked about that it's a podcast uh, my name i can't, can't remember whose it was and it was talking about um so you know in in today's society we have double glazing which seals it in yep um we get a tiny little bit of condensation and the condensation goes into the brickwork goes into the center and lo and behold it, it becomes mold instant yep mm -hmm. it's everywhere I mean, I, I'm seeing mycotoxicity, and it's it, and it's not just because this is a damp country. Uh, I I lived in South Africa, and I got mold toxicity there. So it's it's everywhere. It's a worldwide problem. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, my GP's response to that when I went up and talked about that I was having a um <laughs> a mycotoxin response, and he thought I was talking about nuclear waste. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I think that was that was where I came to you and was like, right, okay, there's there's a lot going on here for me, but I definitely need to be talking to somebody who doesn't who doesn't treat me like I'm talking like a bloody alien or, or yeah. Oh, I know what that feels like. Having been a front runner in this industry, I mean, it takes about 15 years for the medical industry to accept new ideas, um, and the UK is five years, maybe five years into accepting this new idea of functional medicine. I went through it in South Africa from 2008. So from 2008 to now, <clears throat> we had the change. And now it's like mainstream. Uh, GPs understand the terminology. So if you go to a general practitioner who's functionally trained, and a lot of them are, they will speak to you exactly like I do. It's just very new in the UK. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to know, um, to know the clinic in Leeds in terms of Indra. And, you know, there's, there's a lot happening in terms of, I think maybe therapists may start to learn a little bit more about this as well because this this well, is going to underpin everybody's practice well i'm a big fan of integrative practices because i'm never going to know how to be a therapist i will always refer out to somebody and the practices that i was in um, where we had multiple practitioners all working on the same case uh, with no fear of losing your patient to somebody else because i see that quite a bit in this country like oh if i refer to someone else I'll never get them back, but that's not the point. You will, because they'll be grateful and they'll send you family members and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not a therapist like you are. So I would refer people to you. I'm not a GP. So I refer people to Indra or some of my other functional doctors. Um, a referral basis is, is a great way to get the best outcomes for a patient. And yeah. you don't even have to be in the same country or the same county as the people you refer to. I mean, I refer around the whole of UK. And then you know, yeah. As well, anyway, yeah. Yeah, there's a term called alloparenting. So um, there's, a, there's a book that Dan Siegel introduced, uh, well, not just me, but I'm, I'm just gonna take it that when, when he was talking one time, um, and he, many, many years ago, he, he said there's, there's a term called alloparenting um, written in a book called Mothers and Others by Sarah Blaffer-Hurdy. And she talks about, basically it's another version of the village raises the child yeah yeah and then there's this allopathic care and yeah. this is exactly what we're talking about here isn't it is this isn't about isolated you know insular therapists doing the talking work because actually there's a whole body to go underneath it so i i tend to use um a lot of somatic therapists if there's something i can't do so i might refer out to a chiropractor or um uh, so I, I have a manipulative therapist who bend, bends me like a pretzel. Um, sometimes I send people to her. 
or to an aromatherapist so that I, people are getting. It takes a tribe. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem with society nowadays is we're so insular. You know, like we've got these houses that are blocked off from our neighbors most of the time. I mean, I've been in neighborhoods where the neighbors just wouldn't speak to each other. So there isn't that sense of community. And I mean, the evidence is showing that the lonelier you are, the more conducive it is to early death. You know, um, you can yes. your tribe. And I agree, uh, tribal parenting is something that should really come back. Like, just like tribal treatments of patients. Yeah. But there isn't one doctor on the face of the planet who knows everything, <laughs> even if they say they do. Well, well, I'm going to introduce you off camera to some egos in that realm. You know, oh. there is something... <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot there is a lot about um the people who come forward and yeah there is this proclaim this proclaimed ego isn't it is actually i'm the only person who understands this particular topic and i'm the only person so i, I do a lot of um i need my try i need my people i yeah. need my people to help me work with things and more often than not i go yeah i can do i can do the dna snips with you but actually that's something you need to go and see uh, you know indra or shania or somebody else for because that's out of my remit. Yep. So this is one of the things that I actually teach about when I do public speaking uh, in the UK, because I really want functional medicine to take off. That's kind of my goal. Mm -hmm. The company I work for has the same goal orientation and I get to work with practitioners rather than patients. And it's great because I get to put that knowledge that I have of, of 15 years of experience and go, right, this is the way you should be doing things. You should be working in a team. You should be creating these group sessions, da, 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 da. It's fantastic. So if anybody comes to hear me speak, they will hear me talking about the fact that tribes are the way of the future when it comes to medicine. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is why, um, uh, and, and I'll probably do more about it in terms of podcasts throughout the year. Um, this is why I'm trying to put this conference together because I'm seeing those little snippets of, you know, an article here that talks about nutritional psychiatry and I'm going, and yes, but there needs to be more. And then there might be something about, so uh, there was recently um, uh, a webcast of inflammation. Yes. And, but it's more than that. So that there's something about this needs to be the biggest holistic approach that we can have Absolutely. In, in terms of, I mean, and for me, for me, Shania, it's just sitting with my clients now over the last two years, I hear such different stories. Now I don't hear just the psychological impact i don't hear just the emotional impact i'm now hearing the problems behind it and and for example i'm now i'm now able to say to women okay what are you eating at the moment and i get this brown beige boring diet and i say okay what i want you to do and this isn't advice but let's see what happens if you could put some of this in some of this in some of this in and aim them towards you know eating real food Food, yeah, for clean, <laughs> clean, clean, real food. You know, come off the, yeah, come off the KFC. Maybe yeah. you want to stop that for the moment. You know, see how you feel if you stop eating KFC and McDonald's every day, and you might be surprised. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, I had the angriest eighteen-month-old patient once many, many years ago, and he frightened me. But one day, uh, he got really close to me for the first time. I, I, had to, I had to draw blood from him, which was the most frightening experience of my entire <laughs> medical career. Um, so I, I, I had a safety lance that I managed to uh, prick his finger. Um, but then he came up to me with the lancet, which is now safety, and started stabbing me with it. And I grabbed him, not, not hard, but I grabbed him by the shoulders. 
And that was the first time I'd actually been able to physically touch this child because he was that angry. Like he would do all sorts of things to, to yeah. would bite and kick and whatnot. And I, while I was there, I, I felt what felt exactly like severe muscle spasm. So I, I turned it into a massage <laughs> on the spot, a quick, quick massage. And he, he slumped, like he stopped being angry and he slumped. So I spoke to the mom and I said to her, what, what was the birth like? And he was a forceps birth. And I said to her, okay, you really, really need to go and get him checked out by an osteopath or a chiropractor. And in the meantime, you're going to be massaging with magnesium because he's in pain. The reason he's so angry all the time is he's actually inflamed. He's in pain. He's not right. angry. He's just sore. And he's been sore from day one of his 18 month life. I met him a year later, completely different child. No need for medication. No need for anything. Yes. Yeah. Just the right assessment. Well, this is, well, I mean, that's, that's the crux of what we're actually talking about today, isn't it? Is it's, this is about not, and, and I'm now going to quote um, a very close family member who says, you're always slating the medical model. And I said, well, actually, it's not the medical model. It's the long-term chronic illness approach that I don't agree with. Yeah. So there is this, there is this um, little slight um going on. medical model i mean geez absolutely if you if you're in need for a e you need to go you, if you're not in need for a e please don't go because you're actually clogging up the works you know rather change your diet <laughs> get, get more there. in a sauna <laughs> um yeah and this is that this is the thing isn't it is it's low-grade inflammation leads to the the kind of autoimmune disease it's it's like this path and most people don't pick up on it in the early stages. So this this is about, you know, you can actually do this with diet, with exercise, with sleep, with all of the reducing your toxins in terms of learning a little bit about your environment. Stop watching shite programs like Game Changers. Uh, so I'm just going to get, <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna get that in. Oh, well, the thing is, should I, I actually said this to Sean Wells, there have been, and this was a discussion before we did our podcast, there were a number of clients around Christmas and New Year time, well, mainly towards um, to December, who had watched this documentary and young adolescents bombarded by this information that was clearly biased yep. and then changing diets and saying, well, I feel a little bit better at the moment. And I was saying, well, of course you do. Vegetables. <laughs> uh, well, yes, because you've gone, you've gone slightly more vegetarian, vegan. And what you'll find is that actually you might not be the, a, a person who can genetically be a vegan. And yep. I think, you know, you're, you're one of those, I'm one of those. It, it's, it doesn't suit everybody. Um, when I was in my 20s and I was experimenting with my body, uh, I went vegetarian, not vegan, but vegetarian for a year. And even that was pro-inflammatory. And man, everything went wrong with me that year. And when I started eating meat again, uh, I felt better. And I didn't know why um, until I did my genetics uh, many years later and found out that I actually just don't have the enzymes that turn plants into functional things for my body. So actually they turn them into inflammatory things. So th mm -hmm. if I'm not careful, um, these plants, which, you know, should be so good for me, actually inflame me and make me sick. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I applaud people who have the genetic ability to create the enzymes that make plants functional foods, but I don't, I have to, I have to employ an animal to do that for me. Um, 
I quite like that. If employing an animal to do it for you, yeah, to chew to chew the cud enough times that actually it becomes useful. Just a on my house, I've got a little uh, paddock here where uh, sheep uh, turn grass into food, um, and then not too far from me is an abattoir. So, I, I, like my food, I can watch it grow, and it's got a zero carbon footprint. It's it's good for the land, it's good for the planet, and it's really good for me because it's full of things that are anti-inflammatory. And the more I eat of them, the less inflamed I am. Yeah, and and so I'm just thinking, um, what one of the things that we've talked a little bit about, and it keeps dropping in, are these genetic tests and these SNPs and so on. So this is. Um, you and I know all about having uh, nutrigenetic tests done. So this is, um, do you want to talk, because you are, uh, I mean, you, you are kind of the UK rep for Nordics anyway. Yeah. Do you want to kind of talk about what these genetic tests are and why they're done and how people can do them and, you know, take it from yeah, there? Yeah. So <clears throat> there are a lot of genetic testing companies out at the moment and, and a lot of them will supply you with all your raw data. And that sounds fantastic, doesn't it? But um, it's actually not because it's a lot of hard work to extract relevance out of that. So the company that I have used since 2008 and now represents under Nordic Laboratories uh, for the last year is DNA Life. And DNA Life creates panels. So we've got health, estrogen, mind, which are my three favorites. We've got sports, skin, and diet. Okay, you can do all of them, or you can pick and choose which ones are most relevant to you. Um, they've, they've chosen specific single nucleotide polymorphisms that are very well researched. In other words, there is more than just one article out there. There are multiple research yeah. articles backing up that this is a SNP that is relevant and actionable. Actionable being like key information here. Mm -hmm. If you have this SNP, okay, there is something you can do about it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna point out uh, one that could, there's a lot of fear around it. And especially in this country where it is actually very common and people should check it out is APOE4. Yes, yeah. I, do you know, I, I kind of thought there was gonna be something here about either APOE4 or MTHFR. I've, I've, I've discussed methylation, I'll leave it there, but APOE4. Now, having, having done studies in this country for about four years on the prevalence of APOE4 in the combination E3-E4, don't worry if you don't know what that means, um, it's about, like, we're looking at about 60% of the population in the UK, it's high. E4-E4 mm -hmm. uh, is kind of rare, and that, unfortunately, is, is very high risk for neurodegenerative disorders. Yes. E3-E4 puts you in a high-risk category for neurodegenerative disorders. Does it guarantee you're going to get one? No, absolutely not, because it, it's actionable, right? That's the key thing here. So if people are going, oh, I don't, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, you know, why not? Why, why, why don't you want to know? If you do know, you will then make sure you put into your lifestyle changes, the, the, the changes that need to happen in order for that SNP to not become um, an expressing part of your body. Yes, and, and the, the, the readouts actually tell you what to do and what to, you know, kind of what to add into your diet, what to take out of your diet. Um, I noticed on the recent, um, I was saying to um, the people that I've recently done them with, well, yours is blinking posh. Yours has got a nice, nice summary at the beginning, whereas mine, you know, I think 18 months, two years, when was it, two years ago? Yeah, it, yeah very different. Yours actually says, just, just, do the, just do a bit of this. 
<laughs> well, all the reports are presented slightly differently, but yeah, the sports and diet uh, gives gives like you're you're probably better training in the morning or the afternoon. I'm smack bang in the middle. I basically can exercise any time of the day. I just have to get off my bum and do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there are people who uh, are fast or slow metabolizers of caffeine, and this is important to know because caffeine affects the cardiovascular system. If you're a slow metabolizer and you're drinking lots of coffee and exercising, you're putting strain on your cardiovascular system. Mm -hmm. So it's not like coffee's a bad thing. It's caffeine that's a bad thing. Um, but if you're if you're a fairly fast metabolizer, what you can use then you can use caffeine as a tool for your your exercising. So you can have, drink your your cup of coffee 45 minutes before you exercise. It op opens the adrenobeta receptors of the that let the fat out. So you actually start burning fat more more efficiently um so yeah it's there are little tips and tools in the the reports as well we don't give specific advice i don't know if you've noticed that that is 100 percent on the practitioner who's taken the case of the person so a lot of people will hand me results and say tell me what you see and i'll be like well i see results but i need to know the story of the person because i've seen results that literally look like the worst things on paper but when I meet the person, because they're already doing the things that support those particular genetic susceptibilities, they're the picture of health. Yeah. Right? you got to take it into like, this is your potential, this is who you are. And the difference between those two is lifestyle. So Yeah. yeah. And just because areas are high doesn't necessarily mean that they are impacting you right now. It's, it's exactly. about... This, this is your proclivity. I quite, like, I quite like saying that to people, is it? This is about your proclivity. There is, a, there, there is a chance that this might happen, but it's only if you don't do the things in order to stop it happening, if that makes sense. Well, I'll tell you my personal story. My personal story is I was born in a mining town and the school that I went to had this beautiful view of a mine dump. And if you don't know what a mine dump is, it's all the toxic stuff that they don't want from the planet. They extract mm -hmm. all the stuff they do want. And instead of putting it back in the planet, which would be ideal, they just put it on the planet and it's dust, which means it goes everywhere. So my entire town is being researched by the World Health Organization because people are literally radioactive there at the moment. So luckily I left 13 years into living there. So I had 13 years of exposure and this was a while ago. Yeah. So I had 13 years of exposure and then I carried on with life and I started to get weird symptoms, like not sick symptoms, weird, like my skin would flare up or weird stuff. Like I can't even describe it. Mm -hmm. Then I started to get depression. So in my twenties, I got really depressed and it was a kind of depression that just sucked my soul out of my body. For eight months, I was just like, I don't even care if I live or die. Like there is no joy in anything. And that went away and it came back. So it was cyclical. Okay. And then at 28, I, I had a bunch of triggers happening at the same time. I had a lot of stress. So I changed cities. And when I moved to my next city, I had fatigue that I can only describe as I felt like I was wearing a lead suit. Uh, and I, I, at that point, I was a professional mountain biker. So I was not an, an inactive person in any way, shape or form. But I couldn't ride my bike 10 meters without vomiting. So something was wrong. And it took me six years to finally get to the point of where, where these tests were now available. 
And I found out the first test I did was a hair analysis that showed that I was basically just made out of heavy metals. So my, those heavy metals bind to the same receptor sites as nutritional metals. And yeah. nutritional metals, so they don't have a function, whereas the nutritional metal does. So basically you start to function less over time. And then one day there's a hair that breaks the camel's back. And that was, that was the stress of moving. Anyway, I managed to get rid of some of the heavy metals, but I still wasn't feeling 100% right. And then in 2008, Danny Mayersfeld of DNA uh, Life stood on a stage at a functional medicine conference and said, we now have the ability to test your genetics for X, Y, Z. And at that point, it was only 30 different SNPs. And I was like, take my money. I don't care. And yeah. I got the report. And I, I know how you feel when you first see a report. It basically just looked like code. I didn't know what the heck I was looking at because I hadn't been taught anything at that point. Mm -hmm. so of course, I saw that there were issues and I became an expert in it. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually decided not to look at my reports until I, I knew what I was talking about. And I took my reports out of the cupboard and I stared at it for a second. And, and it was like things were jumping off the page now. And I went, oh my goodness, I made one or two changes and I've never had depression since. This is 12 years of not having depression, not having fatigue. I don't have fatigue. <laughs> Certainly not fatigue, don't have insomnia. I used to be, I used to stay awake for weeks at a time when I was toxic. Um, so yeah, that not understanding my blueprint and understanding that I had MTHFR homozygous, I had a GST deletion. Don't worry if you don't understand this. I had inflammatory genes, right? Yeah. I was like the trifecta of exposure of a massive mind dump plus those three genes. I was a mess. Yeah. I'm, I'm also well. That's just made me feel a lot better because I'm GST delete. <laughs> Most people are sadly. <laughs> just eat your broccoli. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so these these tests are really really easy, aren't they? So, um, you know, for example, somebody could contact you uh, or myself or or any of the um, DNA life practitioners in the country because so they, they can contact me and I can refer them to somebody who is close to them. Uh, absolutely. Or they can go through me. I do still practice. Yep. But yeah. They're very easy and they're non-invasive. It's, it's a swab. It's a, so, yeah. yeah. Swab. And then basically the way that technologies move forward is that test is sent to them. They do the swab, they put it in a box, they send it back to the lab uh, over in Copenhagen. And then what happens is there is a report that they can then download and work with a practitioner to, to be kind of supported through and what it, it actually means. It takes three weeks to get the results. It used to take two years. Yeah. <laughs> the way technology has changed since 2003 when we first... Um, experience sequencing of the genome. Um, yeah, it's, it, it took two years to do that. It's now three weeks. So we can really thank technology and the advancements there. Yeah, which is which is super duper fast to get all of your results. Um, which actually, that's just made me think about. I need to go and check on somebody else's results. But yeah, three weeks is three weeks is really quick to then be given a a magnificent tool to look at the rest of your life. And this is, this is the thing, isn't it? This is what I keep saying. It's not, this isn't about a little health intervention now. This is about the rest of your life and how you can now live healthily. Exactly. It's the blueprints that you need yeah. to stay healthy. It's going to be quality of life and quantity. <laughs> it, yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously, <laughs> and you can you can go down the rabbit hole of having all of the tests and so on. I think I'm going to be doing the the mold one next because I think I was curious to see 
what that was and I think after listening to you talking to Indra I think it was oh, I think I, I think what I'll do is I'll show you off screen I'll show you my latest uh, IgA IgM IgE results because those are just I that one I'm really fascinated in because obviously I know that mold is becoming a bigger issue um, since since learning about that one that's the one that I'm interested in because I'm beginning to see some of the presentations of clients might not just be related to their um, their emotional issues I think it might be related related to environmental yep and I'm just trying to work that out at the moment but obviously well you know you can always come and ask me um absolutely so I'm, I'm just thinking we have done uh, 50 minutes I thought we might end up doing uh, you know a, a quite a long conversation about this this is this is only the beginning isn't it so for days. Um, so I will put your details into the show notes for people to find you um, and for those that have listened to Sean Wells uh, the conversation that I had with him and the one previous with Neurohacker you can now begin to understand where I'm coming from in terms of interviewing the people that I am because actually this is about a multifunctional health approach this is not just um, you know go on a keto diet and everything's fine because that it just don't work like that not at all so obviously that that's why I had a little dig at the Game Changers movie because that's one of the things that I'm watching is one movie suddenly changes everything well documentary and yeah, but you're right there I mean keto doesn't work for everyone either so no it, it no it works for the whole population no and and that's why it needs to be person-centered okay right well thank you very much for taking the time for this uh, uh recording Shania and um yeah Silas and I say goodbye <laughs>